Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Once they turn 18, even though it's it's kind of a construct, they are by, you know, legalities, at least in the United States, they're adults. And um, at that point, you have to separate yourself from them. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do. You will always be their parent, absolutely. But your role has radically shifted from parent to friend or coach. Um, and that's where you get on your knees a lot more. <laughs> and today's guest talks about this in her new book. The title is Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. We're joined today by Mary Demuth. Today on Connections, she's going to share with us how we can stay true to our Christian convictions while loving our wayward children. She's also going to just share with us how we deal with this change in our lives and how we can potentially bring our children back. We'll hear that and so much more. Mary Demuth joins us today. She's an author and a literary agent. Now, Mary, you just released a new book, Love, Pray, Listen, and Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. What I really like about this book is that you're talking about children as adults. Now, most of the time we hear about what we can do now to prevent our children from going wayward. But what you're talking about is something completely different. Why did you decide to write this book? Well, I had been in a little prayer loop for a long, a long time ago, and there was a mom there whose joy, um, would rise and fall on the antics of her adult children and mostly just fell. She was mostly really sad. And I kind of made this quiet determination after watching that, that I didn't want that to happen to me. Um, no matter what my kids did, I wanted to still find joy. And so, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years later and my kids were adults and they were making all sorts of adult decisions. And I remembered that and I thought, okay, well, how, how does a parent, whether, um, your adult children's decisions with joy and that became the kernel of this book? Now it's an important book. I am a parent of young children, a six year old and an eight year old. So I don't know exactly what a wayward child looks like just yet. For those who don't know, what is a wayward child? Well, a funny little joke is that if you have toddlers, you have wayward children. But <laughs> <laughs> they're always like, no, I don't want to. Um, but you know, there, I wrote the book actually just for parents of adult kids. And so there's a wide variety of different meanings for wayward. Wayward for one parent could mean, could mean normal for another. So like some parents would say that their kids are wayward if they differ politically. Some parents would say they're wayward if they're not following um, their Christian roots that they heard when they were growing up. Um, and so there's a wide variety of ways to look at that. But I guess in the way the book is written, it's, it's when your kids make decisions that you hope they wouldn't make. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and the framework of the book is taking you through the First Corinthians 13 narrative of uh, love is patient, love is kind. And we often use those verses as if they were written for marriage ceremonies when in actuality, Paul wrote them to a really broken church of a bunch of adults making wayward decisions. So um, exegeting that scripture was really good for me. The whole practice really helped me to understand what really is love and what does it mean to exercise love toward the adults in our lives? Where do we start when it comes to praying over our children or listening over them, especially when they are in this phase? To me, it's having an ethic of love as the backdrop and as the backbone. And we recently had um, kind of a demonstration of that. So 
Uh, we have three adult children and, um, two of them are, uh, I guess you could say wayward. They're, uh, I like to say they're working on their testimonies. Um, but, uh, right as the book released, I received a call from one of them and, um, they were really upset about something and it was a big life moment for them. And we were, um, the first call. And that to me was an indication that we had done something right now. I've made like 10 million mistakes as a parent. So I'm not trying to boast or anything like that, but we did by airing on the side of love. We had this welcoming haven like home that that child was wanting to come back to or wanting to call. And I think that starts where you are right now is creating the kind of space and the kind of haven like home that our kids are wildly enthusiastic about coming home to by creating a safe place and a kind hearted, um, I am for you, not against you place. Um, that as they leave the nest, um, they still remember that. And then you act in an honorable way. Um, not in a, you don't have to leave all of your, um, you know, your convictions at the door so that you can still have your convictions but you can always err on the side of love. So really, we can start now as opposed to, you know, we're in this position where our kids are doing stuff that we really don't want them to. Maybe we don't know how to bring them back. If we start young, maybe we can ingrain it in their minds. And if we open up our homes, like you just said, and make them a place they want to be, then they may be less likely to go wayward. Yes. I mean, it's a lifelong process. And you do start, typically, um, parents start with high control. So if your toddler runs out into the street, of course, you're going to run after them and say, don't do that, obviously, because of, you know, because of cars and things like that. But as you continue your parenting journey, you move from high control to lower control as the child's able to handle it. And so what happens is that makes it hard, I think, for kids and parents is that they raise their kids with high control all the way up until 18. They've made all their decisions for them. They've done all this work for them. And then suddenly the kid's on their own. And that's kind of a recipe for disaster on both ends because the kid then suddenly there was a study done that kids in highly controlled homes were, I think it was like 20% more likely to uh, follow a cult leader <laughs> because they've been so used to following somebody and never making decisions for their on their own that they just gravitate toward, okay, just tell me what to do. I just, I don't like this world where I don't know what to do. So our job is to get, is basically to work our way out of a job to go from high control to lesser control so that when there is that leaving of the nest, it's, it is hard. Of course it's hard, but um it's not, it's more gradual and uh, the child is then trained to kind of live and move and breathe out in the real world. How about if our child as an adult doesn't want to change? They like the way they're living and they don't want what we want. How do we move forward past that? And that's where the magical age of 18 comes in <laughs> uh, because we would, honestly, we would parent differently if we had someone under our roof uh, under the age of 18, we would, we would definitely talk to them about the choices that they were making. And, and we would talk about, you know, why this is going to harm them. And we would do all that kind of parenting of this is the advice that I would give you. But once they turn 18, even though it's, it's kind of a construct, they are by, you know, legalities, at least in the United States, they're adults. And, um, 
at that point, you have to separate yourself from them. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do. You will always be their parent. Absolutely. But your role has radically shifted from parent to friend or coach. Um, and that's where you get on your knees a lot more <laughs> because you realize that all of that control you thought you had when you had them in, under your roof was really an illusion. Um, because all human beings have, have been granted choice and free will. And so they will be free willing <laughs> all they want once they're out of your house. And that's when I have found just the power of listening instead of telling unless I'm asked. And, um, of course, loving and then, of course, praying, getting on my knees and just saying, Lord, I can't fix this. I see the road they're walking and I think there's going to be some pain there. But sometimes the school of hard knocks and, you know, the the realities of this world are a really good, um, a really good education. And we have to just let circumstances be their teacher instead of us. This can obviously impact our faith. So for parents that are going through something like this right now, how can they stay true to their Christian convictions while loving their children? I think uh, having community really does help. I was recently on a book club that was reading this book, and it was like five ladies, and they all had different stories. And um, when I first released the book, I had an acquaintance of mine text me and she's like, oh my gosh, I need this book so much. And I had no idea that she was battling a wayward child. And she said, I just don't talk about it. Nobody knows. And I think that's where parental shame comes in. We've been kind of given this bill of goods. Like if you just do all the right things as a parent, you're guaranteed on the other end to like a machine, you're going to push out this perfect child. And when that doesn't happen, because none of us are perfect and all of us make weird decisions, um, when that doesn't happen, we feel ashamed because we feel like, oh, I must have done something wrong to produce this specific outcome. And yet um, what I have found is when parents share it with others and when I have unburdened myself with my friends, I feel not in a gossipy way, but just as a processy way, um, I have felt so much better and less alone. So it can be as simple as starting that conversation. Yeah. And that can be hard, like, because you have to admit that, you know, you don't have this picture perfect life, that things didn't turn out the way you wanted them to. And I mean, that's just life. That's how life goes. And I think the other thing that has helped me, this is kind of an aside. The other thing that's really helped me is to remember myself in my 20s. And <laughs> I mean, I made all sorts of decisions that I would not do today. And yet, if I can have grace for Mary in her 20s, then why can't I have grace for my kids in their 20s? Now, you mentioned First Corinthians. Is there any other scripture that really stands out when it comes to dealing with a wayward child? One of the um, chapters is is uh, basically about grief and the importance of actually experiencing the grief and processing it. And so there's a lot of these, but the scripture would be any of the lament Psalms that David wrote throughout his life. There's a, quite a few of them throughout the Psalms. And there's a very specific pattern of mourning that happens there where you start with why God, why? And then, you know, you share what's going on and you, you say all the things like, I'm, I don't understand why this is happening. But then there's a shift in the middle of a lament Psalm where you begin to basically list the attributes of God and the faithfulness of God. And then at the end, you choose to praise him despite what's going on. And 
So my point is, is that we do have permission and we, it's a necessity to grieve what is lost. And so if you had this expectation or hope that your kids would be a certain way, your family would be a certain way, it's okay to grieve that. And in fact, it's very necessary. And a lament psalm and the structure of that can help you. Lament and wayward children. It's not something that we often talk about, but something that we should be talking about. Now, your book has been out for a couple of months now. Have you heard any feedback from parents that are like, hey, your book brought my child back to me? Or what kind of feedback have you been hearing from those who have had the opportunity to read it? You know, we cannot affect the actions of another, but we absolutely have control over our response. And so a lot of the parents, I got a, a um, Instagram message yesterday from someone or two days ago from someone who they were in the airport and they were crying and reading my book and they were on their way to have a reunion with their adult child that they hadn't seen for five years because their adult child had had basically ghosted them. And this is another aspect of parenting that we don't talk about is what happens if you cancel your kids or what happens if your kids cancel you and there is a complete rift in relationship. And so the book for her was just confirming uh, the pain that she had gone through, but also highlighting some of the things that she could do in the future to maybe mend the relationship. And to me, that's a win. That's the reason I wrote that book. For our listener out there that is listening to this going, that is me. My child is wayward, but I'm too ashamed with the guilt and embarrassment that comes along with this. What kind of encouragement do you have? First of all, that they're not alone. And I think parents have gone through this, they're, you know, through millennia. So this is a very (laughs) common thing. But I would say that we do have a different method and style of parenting now that makes this a bit unique. So when I graduated from high school and got dropped off at college, that was the end. Like they're done, you know, I'm, you know, no more parenting. And there was no like, uh, I, I knew that if I had a financial situation or I was in trouble that I didn't have a place to go. I had to figure it out on my own. But today's parents are not like that. We're a lot more connected to our kids and we do long to have a relationship with them. It's, I think, hard for us because we do have to morph that relationship and change the nature of it from 17 to 18 or from 16 to 20. It's just a different kind of relationship. Um, so we're experiencing the grief maybe differently than the last parental generation when they were like, we're done. We parented. Goodbye. Have good luck. Um, so it is a different, a little bit different of a situation. Now, what would you say to that parent that's listening like myself that has young children thinking, Oh my goodness, what do I have to look forward to? What would you say to them? Well, one of the things that I would say is that, um, I have my favorite parenting years were my teen kids. I just loved that. And I'm, I'm so tired of, you know, oh, just wait till they're teens and actually look forward to it because it's glorious. You get to find out what's going on in their minds. You have these late night talks. And then that's just a precursor to what is even better, which is when they are adults, at least with my three, um, they're some of my closest friends. I love them so much and they love me so much. And, uh, we have had a new, depth to our relationship. And um, so it's not anything to be feared. This is something we had been building our entire marriage and our entire family structure to have um, a highly relational family. And it has not changed regardless of different choices that my kids are making. We still really love each other and there's a lot to look forward to. 
One thing that I've heard over and over and over again in this conversation is communication. Start it young so that they're not afraid to talk. Yes. And that vulnerability too. And, you know, if I grew up in a home where no one ever, no parent, no adult ever apologized. And so I always felt like, and there's repercussions for that today in my life. I have always felt like something's wrong with me because it's never anyone else's fault. It has to be my fault. And so we um, chose to do something different in terms of communication, which was if we did something wrong, we apologized to our kids and asked their forgiveness. And we have continued that even as adults. There are times I'll look back on my parenting and think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. So I'll call them up and one of them up and say, I'm so sorry that that's the way I parented you at that in that particular instance. It was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I hope you can forgive me. And that's not going to solve all the problems, but it is a really good first step if you have some angst between you and your adult child. How can our listeners learn more about you or pick up your book? Again, that book is titled Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting, Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. Yeah, so they can find it wherever books are sold. And I also have a freebie for your listeners. They can go to marydemuth.com slash LPL, which stands for Love, Pray, Listen. It's marydemuth.com slash LPL, and you will receive a year's worth of weekly prayers that have blanks in them that you can pray for your kids. And they don't have to be adult kids for these prayers. Just a whole year, 52 prayers, um, about a paragraph long each, and you just put fill in the blank with your child's name. And so they can get it there. Beautiful. Thank you so much for making time for us. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks so much for having me on.